You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. We're going to look at eschatology. Don't let that word scare you, but uh, my, my verse that I'm using as my title is from Luke 21, chapter 28. It says, look up for your redemption draws near. Look up. Your redemption draws near. And as I was preparing this, you know, I got thinking, sometimes there's big words, especially when we're studying the Bible, and we kind of let a, you know, kind of scares us, or we don't use them, or we get a bit intimidated. And a lot of the words that end with ology, O-L-O-G-Y, right? Those are the words you go, well, what the heck does that mean? We all kind of know what theology means, right? Study of God, but we have Christology, the study of Christ, soteriology, and you know what that is, brother, study of the Holy Spirit. Um, excuse me, soteriology is the study of salvation, but pneumatology, the pneuma, the study of the Holy Spirit, all these things are individual studies. Ecclesiology, the study of the church, and these are all wonderful topics, and we could do sermons on all of these. Today, I want to talk about eschatology. And all that means is a study of the last times, of the last events in history. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my mind, there is no question that we are in the last days. In fact, a dear brother the other day said, Jeff, it's not the last days, it's the last minutes. I I think he's right. I actually think he's right. Um, At least for me and my family, and maybe you feel the same way, I think we might be doing ourselves and our loved ones a bit of a disservice if we don't have at least a little bit of familiarity with the timeline as the Bible lays it out. And that's why I want to do this really brief, and I say brief, overview of eschatology today. Sort of a 30,000-foot flyover, because honestly, one of these events would be like a four-Sunday sermon. So forgive me for being brief, but I think you'll see what I'm doing when we're done here. And my, my goal is to encourage you. Say there's, uh, you know, maybe it's the rapture or something I bring up that you go, oh my gosh, would you please dive into that? You'll be so blessed. Do, do the deep dive if something that I mentioned today excites you. And it should excite you. I'm gonna use the word exciting because honestly, if you see what the word of God says about our destiny, the new heaven and the new earth, there, it, it will bring excitement. There are just no two ways about it. It will bring excitement. So before I get into the timeline, let me give you personally why I think we're actually in that, those last days or last minutes, if you will, and, and why the, the verse in Luke, look up for your redemption draws near, has never been more relevant than it is today. Let me open us in prayer. Lord, we We say that, we mean that, we come to you. And Lord, I would ask that you'd quicken our hearts by the reading of your word, that you would encourage us, Lord God. Maybe it's a a conversation in the checkout line of the supermarket where you supernaturally open an opportunity for us to share with someone that doesn't know you. Lord, because we have less time, Lord, it becomes more urgent. But let us do this just with a great attitude and with excitement, Lord God. Let us make every opportunity that you give us worth something. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So dear friends, it is my 
opinion that moral absolutes and the Ten Commandments have been removed from our society. They have been removed from our society. They've been replaced by what I call immoral relativism. Immoral relativism. Basically, that says that there's no such thing as absolute wrong or evil. It's relative. There's no such thing as absolute wrong or evil. The only thing that is wrong today, there is something that is wrong today, and you'll get called on it. If you limit someone's ability to pursue pleasure in whatever the way they want to do it. Now that's wrong. You'll get called on that real quick. You stand in the some or you say something about someone pursuing pleasure in an immoral way, they'll let you know. They'll let you know real quick. In fact, I'm going to say this. I think the the Christian value system that I think most of us live by, it's not just considered out of date. It's becoming illegal in some places. Not just out of date, it is becoming illegal. There's legislation being passed right now that would allow a child to be taken from you, your child be taken from you, and maybe you even thrown in jail if you're raising them under a godly Christian standard. And I got news, it's already like that in Canada, and it is coming here. If your five-year-old little girl goes to school and decides she wants to become a boy, the school will protect her. The school doesn't have to tell you. And if you step in the way, you are all of a sudden in the legal crosshairs. This is craziness. <laughs> like my wife told me, we were talking about, she goes, gosh, Jeff, I'm so glad this wasn't happening when I was young because I was a tomboy. I was in fifth grade. I'm playing bobettes, riding motorcycles. Little boys are cool. I mean, come on, we're, ter- we're getting into a time where it's all flipped over. Um, and at one time, some of, you, some of you folks that are older, you remember at one time, our nation stood for God and was founded on trusting God. But now this nation stands for anything but God, anything but God. I think it's important that we remember what our Lord Jesus said prophetically in Matthew 24, 15. He's describing the end of the age. Listen to this. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand. So basically what that's talking about, Jesus saying, when you see that which is abominable, replacing that which is godly or holy, the end is here. We were seeing that, dear brothers and sisters. Right now, we are seeing those abominable things taking the place of that which was holy and good. So the timeline, this is what I think we should be really at least have somewhat of a grasp on. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, now let me say this, guys, because I'm doing this overview, I'm going to go to scripture a lot. You don't need to go there. I'll read it for you. You can go there if you want, but I just want to back up what I say by the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, it says that the second coming of Jesus cannot happen until the Antichrist is revealed. Antichrist can't, or excuse me, second coming can't come until the Antichrist is revealed. However, the word of God always says that the man of lawlessness, that's what they call the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, he cannot come until the Holy Spirit is pulled back and then removed. Okay, so the Holy Spirit needs to be pulled back and then removed for the Antichrist to be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says this. Listen to what Paul tells us. 
For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. That he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. The Holy Spirit is restraining evil. And in my opinion, for him to be pulled back, I don't think it happens overnight. I think it's a gradual process, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it this very moment. And obviously, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. A lot of the LGBTQ transgender push, it's not only, it's not only a direct attack against God and God's greatest creation, man and woman. It's an attack against that, but it's also a sign, listen to this, it's a sign of social disorientation and confusion. Social disorientation and confusion. And can I say this? Confusion is a precursor for the Antichrist. The Antichrist needs confusion to come on the scene. We have never been more confused, in my estimation. Another sign, and maybe you've noticed this, even folks that aren't Christians or they, they don't have a religious worldview, they're saying something's wrong. This is just different. It's one thing for us Christians to say, man, we can show you by the Bible, this is wrong, this is wrong. But people I talk to that I know, are they don't go to church. They don't really have a religious trajectory. They're saying, wait, things are going from bad to worse. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, in the last times, there will be terrible, terrible times for all of us. And you don't need to be a Christian to know what a terrible time is. And people are recognizing this in no uncertain terms. Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 12 says this. And the reason I'm referencing old and new because it's throughout the Bible, it's such a clear roadmap. And I think we need to pay attention to it. But Daniel chapter 12 says, before God takes over the earth again, that knowledge will increase like never before. Knowledge will increase. A lot of you guys have a cell phone in your pocket, don't you? Google it. We have knowledge like never before. The computer, everyone's an expert on everything now. We've got, we really do. We have knowledge like never before. And the book of Daniel talked about that. So I think it's, at least for me, I think it's kind of obvious that, that we, we are headed for the last times and what's before us. So I want to give you this eschatological timeline. Again, if one of these subjects interests you, I've got a lot more data, but contact me. But I hope you just jump in the Bible and look at it for yourself. So let's look at some of these events. So currently, right now, we are living in what's called the church age. This is the church age. The church age started in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles? Tongues of fire, they spoke in different languages. Peter preached to 3,000 folks. They put their faith in Jesus and the church was born. We are still living in the church age. The next event on the biblical timeline is the rapture. The rapture. Let me read to you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Let me read this for you. The Bible does such a better job of describing it than me. It says this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or died is what it's talking about. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is the rapture. Now, it's very true. Some of you Bible scholars know the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but in verse 17, where it says caught up, the Greek word is harpazo, and it means a snatching away. Like, say you had a, a, a moth in your house and you wanted to grab it to put it outside. It depicts a snatching away that we will be caught up in a twinkling of an eye. But that's not the only place, you know that, that the rapture is mentioned. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says this, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So the rapture is when the Lord himself is visible in the sky. There'll be this loud trumpet blast. It'll be heard. And at that point, the believers who have already died, everyone that's ever believed in Christ, they will rise up. And then maybe if we're still alive, we will meet them in the air and we will be together with Jesus until the next event on the timeline. Now, know that some people, and it's, it's kind of an honest mistake, they get the rapture confused with the second coming of Jesus because the mention of the Lord coming down from heaven. The rapture is not the second coming. In the rapture, Jesus' foot never touches the ground. He never comes to the ground. The second coming is a later event, which, which I'll talk about, but that's an easy mistake to make. Uh, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen, but Jesus warned us it's going to be sooner than we think. Again, in Matthew 24, it says this, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And I think this is interesting. Excuse me, you know what I forgot? I forgot my water. Sorry about that. I think this is interesting. And this is just a side note. And this is just Jeff Clay hypothesizing. So don't take this to the bank, but I thought it was interesting. Um, we're celebrating Rosh Hashanah right now. It is that time of year, or it's called Yom Teruah, basically the Feast of Trumpets. In the verse we read about the rapture will be signaled by a blast from a trumpet. And wouldn't it be just like the Lord to coincide his second coming with a holy ancient biblical holiday? That's just me. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but wouldn't that be something? I just hear something. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, so let's go. The next eschatological event after the rapture is the tribulation. Ooh, tribulation. The tribulation occurs very soon, if not right after the rapture. I think it happens right after. Some scholars say there's just a short, short time in there. But what this is, this is a, a seven-year period of holy judgment on earth. It's a great time of human pain and suffering. Terrible, terrible. You can read about it in, uh, 
in 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 Revelation. It's you know it's some people don't like reading it because it does get kind of scary. You read about it, sounds like the worst science fiction movie you've ever seen, but it is really gnarly. It's going to last exactly seven years, and the last three and a half years will be the worst. The last three and a half years, the rapture are horrible. During this time, Satan will be in control through the Antichrist and the false prophet. Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, the unholy trinity. It's, it's, it's a direct mock on God. It's the unholy trinity, but Satan's going to be running the movie through the Antichrist and the false prophet. However, let me say this. I don't believe that the church believers will go through the tribulation. I really don't. I hold what's called a pre-trib or pre-tribulation theology, which means that I think God will remove the church pre-before the tribulation. However, I, I got to say this. There's uh, men that I greatly respect that hold other positions. There's two other positions. And if you hold one of these other positions, doesn't mean we're not all saved. We just agree to disagree. But I'll, I'll try to prove my point. But the other two positions are this. It's called a mid-trib, mid-tribulation position, which means that the rapture happens at about the three and a half year mark, halfway through the tribulation, or a post-trib or post-tribulation position that says the church is going to go through all this. And in fact, one of the guys that discipled me way back when, I really respect this guy, he held a post-trip position, and he'd always say, Jeff, you know, when the church gets to heaven, they're going to have scorch marks on them. And I'm all, oh, man, what did I know? I'm all that. And let me tell you why I believe in the pre-trib position. It's for this reason. Listen to this. Not just, and it's easy when you want something, when you want to believe in something, it's easy to try to align yourself. I want to have a pre-trib position because I don't want to go through that, obviously. But let's see what the Bible says. And then you make up your own mind. Let's see what the Bible says. Okay, so the church is mentioned a lot in the first three chapters of Revelation, a lot, read it. Church is mentioned all over the place. But once the tribulation begins, the church is no longer mentioned till chapter 18 and 19, and then it's mentioned as the bride of Christ. So that's a big change. I see it as basically in this horrible stuff is going on. There is no mention of the church, but then the church is mentioned as the bride of Christ. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want my bride going through that. That's just my... That's just my thought. But theologically, I don't believe there is a reason for the church, us believers, to go through the tribulation. I really don't. Again, in the Old Testament, in in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 7, it references the tribulation, this time of testing. But it says this, Jacob will be saved out of it. Jacob will be saved out of this terrible time. Jacob is a reference to God's people. And when you think about it, the purpose of the tribulation, why why is the tribulation going to happen? It's to judge the non-believing Gentile nations and discipline disobedient Israel, the non-believers. It is is absolutely for the non-believers as I see it. 
But then I have to add this, listen to this. The New Testament scriptures, I think, teach that we will not go through this time of terrible testing and wrath. Revelation 6.17 calls the tribulation wrath. It flat out calls it wrath, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says this, listen to these scriptures. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 21, 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And then I really like this one. Finally, in Revelation 3, 10, listen to this. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I think it's clear. I think it's clear. We're out of here. We're out of here. Praise God. Praise God, right? Yeah. Um, The next event on the biblical timeline is the second coming of Christ during the millennial reign. Second coming of Christ during the millennial reign. Millennial means a thousand. Second coming of Christ during the thousand-year reign. And this is really interesting. If you go to uh, Revelation 20, you can read about it. And I'll, I'll pick a couple places, but basically, let me describe this. This is when Satan is thrown into this abyss and locked up for a thousand years. Satan has no more influence. He is locked up. He, he, he can't come back. He can't influence Um, Jesus comes back to earth with all the believers, all the saints of old with us, and we rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on the earth. Not the new earth, it's still the old earth at that time, but we come back and Satan's nowhere to mess with us. So Revelation 21 through six, listen to this. This will give you a great, great description. It says this. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over to keep him, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we're coming back. It talks about the other dead that weren't raised. Those are the non-believers. There's gonna be a judgment I'm gonna get into, but basically it's saying God's gonna judge all this. Satan is... Satan is locked up and we rule and reign for a thousand years. Guys, again, I talked about being excited. You should be excited about this. This is gonna be cool. No, seriously. We are gonna have physical jobs in physical bodies. 
Get the cartoon picture of angels floating around. We're gonna have physical jobs and physical bodies to rule and reign with Jesus on this earth without the interference of Satan. Without, I love that. So, but as we read, right, the next event after the thousand years is Satan is let out and he goes and he deceives the nations. This guy, man, um, he convinces the nations to all join with him and go to war against God and God's people, if you can imagine that. Um, obviously, Satan is not successful in that, in overthrowing God or overthrowing his people. And ultimately, he is thrown into the lake of fire forever to be tormented. But again, let me give the biblical narrative in Revelation 20, 7 through 10. Listen to this. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city that he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah, amen. That's some scary stuff, but it's so good. I mean, picture that. There's so many, for me, little, little psychological things that are coming to mind or human characteristic things. It's like, okay, it's no surprise that Satan lost to God. We kind of knew that was gonna happen. But what I can't understand is how the world, after a thousand years of no influence from Satan being ruled by Jesus Christ, no influence, how was Satan able to fool him? How was Satan able to talk them, come on, come on, we can win this after a thousand years? And Rob and I were talking about this earlier and she brought up a good point. I thought, well, you know, there, there's certainly unbelievers or people that weren't saved during the millennial reign. Um, so they rebelled, but it's not as if, picture this, during the thousand year reign, it's not as if human life expectancy increased like Methuselah, 700 years in the Old Testament. Say you live to be 90 or 100. That's 10 generations of folks living under the rule and reign of Jesus. Satan gets out of jail and comes and fools them. So to me, again, just opinion here, warning Jeff's opinion, so you can throw this out. But I think it shows us how the introduction of sin in Genesis with Adam and Eve it had an everlasting sort of genetic effect on the unredeemed. It's something genetically, that sin was more powerful than we'll ever know. And the fact that Satan could immediately, immediately get out of jail, pick up where he left off, it shows how deeply ingrained the sin nature is. And th this isn't a perfect example, but I've had times in my life where I think ah, things are going good, like that sin has been left behind certain things. I'm hanging around, you know, godly men and women, and there's like this trajectory. But I tell you what, you put me in the middle of a bunch of people sinning wild, I, there's a pull, like some of those old things, it's in here. It's easy to slip back 
it is easy to slip back. And I think that's what's going on here. We have a graphic picture of it. Now, now that Satan has been judged by God, he's gone. He's out of here. God turns his attention towards those that never received Jesus. That's not good. It's called the great white throne judgment. This is God judging those that never received Christ. Let me read for you out of Revelation 20, 11 through 15, exactly what this is. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not in the book of life was thrown into this fire. That is a terrible fate for those people whose names were not written in the book of life. You don't want to be there, dear brothers and sisters. I ask you, do you know for sure that your name is in the book of life? Make certain today, make certain it is. This is the word of God. This is happening now. Um, along with this, so, okay, we have God judging the non-believers at the great white throne judgment. There is another judgment for believers that I want to talk about real quick, just as a, you know, in parallel to this. God will judge the believers, us, for the works that we performed here on earth. Chronologically, this takes place sometime after the rapture and before the second coming, as I read the Bible, and it's called the Bema Seat Judgment, the Bema Seat Judgment. Um, I always picture it like when you watch the Olympics, you have, you know, gold, silver, and bronze. No one is losing. Everyone's winning. Just some win a little more than others. I kind of think about the Bema Seat Judgment like this, and in 1 uh, Corinthians 3, you, you can read about it. But the Bible used the analogy of our works being either gold, silver, precious stones, which can withstand the fire, and we go to heaven with those rewards, or our works burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. And what we're judged on is the motive for what we've done. That's the thing. God sees why we're doing what we're doing. So there's going to be really good things that you will see receive reward for, but I know there's things I've done just to look good. Yeah, this is good. It was, it was and those are going to burn, but here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even if your, uh, re, even if your works burn like wood, hay, and stubble, you will still be saved. You will still be going to heaven. That's the wonderful differentiation between the great white throne and the Bema Seat judgment. No believer will go through the great white throne judgment. Now, let's, let's get to the final event here. Um, we have in Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth coming down. This is so wonderful. 
the new heaven and the new earth. And this is worth getting excited about. I'm going to encourage you really, and I'd consider a great favor if each of you would read Revelation 21 sometime in the next few days. It's exquisite. I don't have time to do it right now. But what I would like to do, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It'll give you a little snapshot, a little glimpse. And I think you're going to get it a mile away. Listen to what Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says about the new heaven and new earth. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Oh, that should sit like a comforting balm. That is just so pleasing to me. I love that. And I really, I think it should fill us with some excitement, like, man, good things are going to happen. Just a matter of time. Stay in your shoes. Do what the Lord asks you to do. There's going to be good things ahead of you, big time, man. And yeah, I want to go into a little bit of a dive here because I think this is important. When it talks about uh, the new earth, uh, I think the best way to understand the new earth is the old earth is transformed, transformed. And I know a lot of you are saying, well, wait, Jeff, in 2 Peter 3, it says God will destroy by fire all this earth as a result of his judgment. The earth will be destroyed by fire. But I don't think that's how we should understand it as totally obliterated. I don't think God totally obliterates this. The reason I say that, if you look at 2 Peter, the passage I'm talking about, Peter draws a parallel between the destruction of the earth at Noah's time and the destruction of the earth that is to come by fire. And we know that Noah's time, it says the earth was destroyed by the flood. Now, the flood was certainly cataclysmic, wasn't it? I mean, it was devastating, but it did not obliterate the earth, making it cease to exist. It did not do that. What do we see in this? God cleansed the world of the evil with a flood, but he saved that which was righteous, which was Noah and his family. He gets rid of the evil, but saves the righteous. Is that not the pattern of God? I believe that is the pattern of God. This will happen, I believe, when God cleanses and transforms the earth by fire. Can I say exactly how it's going to happen? No, but I know the general pattern. And check this out. I talked about the Bema Seat judgment, right? Where we are cleansed by fire. Whatever is good stays. Whatever isn't burns. There is a pattern here, and I believe eschatologically it fits. I think it fits right here. Our works that weren't righteous, obviously they're burnt up, but because of our relationship with Jesus, we were saved. I think God will do something similar in transforming the earth. Here's another reason I don't think the universe and the earth will be totally obliterated, because that would mean that Satan won. 
Satan got God to destroy his great work because of sin. Satan never wins. No, what did God say when he created the world and humanity? He said, it is good. It wasn't kind of good and God doesn't make mistakes. It is good and it still is good. It's been polluted by sin, but it is good. So God will transform the earth in the same pattern as he transformed us through the righteousness of his son. I believe that with all my heart. Now listen, guys, we're gonna live. We're gonna live on this new earth. It's gonna be glorious. See, at this point, heaven and earth will be one. It will be one. Heaven and earth will be one, and God will dwell with his children here on earth. See, again, I, I, I just really wanna wipe the idea. If you have the idea of us dwelling with God and this new heaven and new earth as these disembodied spirits floating around singing 24 hours a day, that ain't happening. I got news, that is not happening. We, and the reason I say this, check this, I think there's a good reason for this. If I look back when God created the world, remember in the beginning, if that would have been God's plan, God could have taken Adam and Eve up to heaven, live forever. No, God came down to dwell with his children. That is the ultimate direction we're going. That was God's plan then, and nothing has thwarted God's plan. He will come down and dwell with us, which just blows. There's so many good things connected with that. I can just describe a few that I'm thinking about, but um, it really shows me that God dwells with his most precious creation. That's us. That's what he wants to do, and that's an exciting Dear friends, that's an exciting future to look forward to. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a plug in. I really, really love Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. He does a masterful job of taking scripture and applying it to new heaven, new earth, this whole thing. And it really makes sense. So I, I just, I tip my cap to Mr. Alcorn. He did a great job. But let me just say this, and I'm about done here. But think about this, please. If you're sleeping, just wake up for the last couple seconds here. No, I'm serious. I know how it is. I know how it is. And I can see you guys. I see some of those guys. That's cool. I got a monotone voice. I know it happens. Mm. So, but listen to this. New heaven, new earth, new resurrected bodies, no pain. It's just like everything. I can't imagine. It's going to be so good. We will eat, we will drink in the new heaven, new earth. We will smell, we will enjoy relationships with each other. We will have emotions without the emotion of anger or sadness. Oh my gosh, this is gonna be awesome. So check this out. All the positive attributes that God originally created men and women with will not only be there, but they will be enhanced. They will be enhanced in that. You'll be able to sense and feel things that you have no ability to now. You don't even know what you don't know. Everything will be heightened and so glorious with no sin. You see, having our sin nature removed, let me say this just as an equation, because I can't speak, actually, because I still have sin nature, but I can tell you what it does. If I had an equation, you remove the sin nature from man and women, Men and women, we have the ability to take in beauty differently, to communicate differently, to show love and enjoy goodness and joy. 
we can't now because we've been sin damaged. We don't have the equipment for it. Our equipment got smashed a long time ago. The radio's not turning on. Everything is going to be fired up and we are going to live with God in a place that is absolutely better than wonderful, better than wonderful. So I say this as I head for home. Listen, this is our destiny, okay? So I think it should give us the perspective and ability to live with great hope, great hope, even in a world that is giving us the opposite of hope. Because you have this information and it's true, God has said this, you can step out confidently in this world. You have a great future, great future. Let me... Let me ask the, uh, the, the prayer team to come up, if you guys would, please. If the prayer team would come up, I, I'll, I'll kind of close with this. This hope that I believe, that I know the Word of God transmits to us, uh, you can take that to the bank. That is going to happen. God has never gone back on one of his promises, and this might be the biggest, and it's going to happen. Step out confidently. No one can take you off this earth one second before God already has it marked, so step out confidently. Preach the gospel. Share your faith with joy generated by the Holy Spirit. You watch what happens. So this is why I shared this particular sermon today, brother, and you you already know this. Um, There's a world out there that is dying and headed for destruction and they don't know it. They don't know it. They're going through the ditches. Wow, what's going on? I want this sermon or, or, or me sharing today not just to be information, but motivation. I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you to do what Jesus asked us to do in Mark 16, 15. Listen to this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's serious stuff, and we gotta go out and do this. It's our privilege and our honor to share the good news. And lastly, I mentioned this, but is your name written in the book of life? Are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Do you have relatives that you don't know if their name is written in the book of life? People you love and care about. If any of those circumstances are are actual, would you please come up and pray with us? Now, I'm going to close in prayer, but the power of prayer to come up with these wonderful ladies and gentlemen and pray. Maybe you have family members or a friend that's not saved. Maybe you want to get stuff right with the Lord. Now's the time to do it. Time is short. So, Father, I come to you, and, and I ask that Lord, move me out of the way. Let the Spirit just come and set on us, Lord God. Do it, Lord God. Dwell with us. Show us. Motivate us. Comfort us. And let us lead, Lord God. Lead in the way that the Lord Jesus asks us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on up and pray. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.